even all, and welcome to Kino Kingdom uh, 1665. My, if we did an old, yeah. old like, oldie-worldie episode, but we only reviewed films released in the... Speaking <laughs> with it, Middle English lilt. Yeah. Possibly <laughs> um, a I'm not sure. I was going to make a joke that wasn't as good as that, but similar. So I'll let it like I said that. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> I yeah I, I the, you've just said um in in the preamble to the episode that every film you've got to talk about today is from 2022 which I think is actually impressive and I don't think it's something that's ever happened before. I did, no, sorry, you got me wrong. That's from the year 1665. <laughs> you know, they're, well, at God, least they basic. Yeah, you know more. none of the none of the reviews of the time would say it's a bit of a reliance on CGI in this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, It'd all be stop motion. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was the height? It was so Ray Harryhausen, I guess, was the mm. height of stop motion in what was that the fifties, sixties? Yeah. 60s? Well, well, I mean, I suppose you probably. W- I don't know. Did he do Clash of the Titans? That was eighties, so it would have maybe into early eighties. But yeah, fifties, sixties, seventies, definitely. I don't think it was made in the eighties. I, th- I think you're just um, thinking about Sam Worthington's haircut feeling like it was the nineteen eighties. <laughs> Is it? You talk about yeah. Sam Worthington's haircut from Wrath of the Titans, by chance? Is it? We're it like he's, they've said, okay, well, we've done the front and sides. We're just going to go on the back, and he's I'm okay with that. I I kind of want to watch Wrath of the Titans now. I watched Clash of the Titans, the obviously the remake, and it was terrible obviously but um i wanted to watch wrath of times which i think you watched quite recently maybe? yeah i watched it like yeah. last year i watched them back um, to back when i went through a monster movie phase i don't well maybe you'll notice this but i i read in a recent interview um that he deliberately went into the second one like because he was meant to be an older character who like <laughs> had kids and stuff he wanted to go for like a dad bod so he didn't do any like workouts or anything like that. So he'd have a bit of a belly when he turned up on set. I don't know whether that's actually in the final film or not, or whether he ended up getting ripped for it. But I thought that was amusing and it kind of made me want to watch it. The idea of him just like like waddling around slightly uncomfortably, like an yeah. ill-fitting armour, his belly just poking out underneath. <laughs> Every time he sits down, he's constantly like getting up and down a bit. Because like, yeah, it's just it. pinching him. It's like, yeah, I don't remember him being like really out of breath all the time and, <laughs> and struggling to get out of chairs. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, like suffering from sleep apnea. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember him like actually having to take his inhaler when he rolls over in bed. Yeah. Yeah. He suddenly um, looks like Brendan Fraser from The Whale. <laughs> a bit of that's not a bit of a dad bod is it <laughs> that's no, that's when he, he has had more than one wagon wheel today <laughs> that's when your address is in greg's that's like the first line of your address yeah which is yeah. the address inside of the addresses yeah greg's and uh, oh, the only thing you can wear ironically is indeed a maternity dress <laughs> Um, what, what are we doing? Why are we here? We're supposed to be talking about films. Oh yeah. Uh, <coughs> I bought you another present. That I bought you another maternity dress. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, At least this one has got flowers on it. It's one for weddings. It's below. Oh, nice. So it's like a, it's like a fancy one. <laughs> Having a wardrobe filled 
eternity away for different occasions. <sighs> okay. Oh. Right. Well, I've I've knocked up a little something to keep keep everyone in the Christmas spirit because this is this is our Christmas episode and there's gonna be a lot of Christmas films featured. Well, from my side as well. Speaking of which, have you seen Pinocchio? The Guillermo del Toro one? Yeah. Not yet. No. Oh. Um I I, I watched I, a big chunk of the Robert Zemeckis one and Turn that off. I won't lie. <laughs> oh right. Okay. Why would you choose to watch that over over the um? Because it came out before it. It's literally the only reason. But I will get around to watching the Guillermo one. Definitely. It's. I wonder honestly, if my son would like that because he does like stop motion. He does like creepy stop motion. <clears throat> Interesting. I was watching. Uh, Faye had it on the other day, well, a few days ago, and I was and I was, I was like half 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 watching it, but I was extremely tired, and I got the impression it was really. Like re- a very, it struck me as if it was going to be a, a very powerful film, okay. and as you know, I don't like crying, and every, everything makes me cry at, at these days. So I was like, "Well, oh, this looks. I'm not in the mood for this. I already feel a bit emotionally fragile. I'm just going to go to bed." <laughs> thing, and and when I in the morning when I woke up, sort of, you know, what was it like? She like took a. She actually before she started talking about it, she took a deep breath to kind of center herself first. <laughs> And I thought, bloody hell. And then she was just saying how powerful it was and how, oh, you know, really? how it really affected. I was like, wow, okay. Crikey. Oh, yeah. This is going to be it's gonna be a nightmare, isn't it? As we're new dads as well. Bloody hell. Oh, I know. Well, I saw a bit that made me think, oh, dear me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm a pussy when it comes to films anyway that, you know, that, that sort of take up the heartstrings. And this was oh, the, everything about it that I saw the first 20 minutes. I thought, oh, this is designed to bring tears to my knees. <laughs> Make to make my feet weep. Um, it was so powerful that my feet bled. My third album. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just it affects your body in in ways that like your body doesn't know how to react, so it does things that your body shouldn't. Like your knees begin to speak to you. It reminds me of when I watched um, the documentary Free Solo about Alex Honnold, the uh, climber, and it was so terrifying that it made my feet sweat watching mm. it. Actually, yeah. made my feet sweat. I didn't even know my feet. Do feet sweat? I guess they do. Yeah, but usually when you're wearing a thick pair of socks and a pair of <laughs> night trainers, I would have thought, rather than when you're just lying in bed watching a movie <laughs> with your feet out of the window. Yeah, <laughs> your feet in ice water. Yeah. <laughs> so I watch all my films, my feet in, yeah. in just my feet on a block of ice in a in a in a bucket, just it's in case me- they sweat. It's method watching. <laughs> just try and like mirror whatever's happening on the screen <laughs> i tell you what when i was watching everest it was bloody uncomfortable yeah you, you unbuttoned the top of your shirt didn't you for that exactly the yeah, wind was got whistling your, through there got your wife to blow on you as you watched the film <laughs> yeah. um well i've done something christmasy for us and i'm gonna gonna go through it now and then we'll move on to uh, a quote that's that I've enjoyed from someone dear to our hearts. Excellent. So, so Rupert, are you sitting? Are you sitting comfortably with a beverage? I am. Because it was the night before Kino Kingdom, and all through the house, a VHS was whirring, a film starring a Kinski, not Natasha, but Klaus. Rupert was yawning as Brit came down the stair to talk of Robert Darby and the lack of product in his hair. Rupert was nestled or snug on the couch, writing an essay on Kubrick. As a director, he was indeed no slouch. Brit poured them both a big dark brown nightcap and suggested watching a film, one that wasn't total crap. 
When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, it's probably McNulty, said Brett. He's always completely battered. Away to the window, window Rupert flew like a flash. Hopefully Nick had dropped some circus tickets from his ungodly stash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to Rupert's wondering eyes should appear, but a copy of looking with an apostrophe Italian on DVD ear. He ran out to get it so lively and quick. As Brit said, I wouldn't get too excited. It's pretty much total shit. But the moment the DVD was in his hands, more clearly now, he could see that it was actually Warlock the Armageddon starring Julian Sands. As he closed the door behind him, Rupert all sad, but said, oh, you'll cheer up soon. We'll pop this one on. I bet it's not too bad. But what was he holding? Rupert squinted to see. Ah, it was a, it was Deathstalker 2, somehow on DVD. I'm not watching that, said Rupert, leaving Brit bemused. It's lackluster and unfunny, with the original's footage reused. So it's... So up to the movie shelf, Brit again flew and said, what about some Nico Masterarchus or Hocus Pocus 2? And then, as if twinkling, Rupert knew what to watch. Pass me that one through from the end with Damien Leone across the top. As it entered Brit's hand and he was turning around, he said, ah, Terrifier 2, with that scene that made me frown. When the movie had finished and another needed to be afoot, Rupert suddenly blurted, what happened to Army Hammer? I guess his career's kaput. Brit furrowed his brow and cast his mind back. Yes, it's very much gone the way of Paulie Shaw. If only his words, recorded messages and actions could he could somehow retract. Rupert went on, his eyes how they twinkled, his dimples how merry, his cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. That may all be true, said Brit, but let's not forget that he had blood-drinking cannibalistic fantasies, which were creepy as heck. Have we any Clint Howard, Rupert said through gritted teeth? Not that I'm aware of, said Brit, and they both sighed with relief. He had a broad face and a round little belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him, in spite of myself. And that's how I felt about you when we first met, said Rupert. Now go and choose another film from our shelf. He spoke not a word but went straight to his work and picked one at random, then turned with a jerk. Peering at the cover, Brit's blood pressure rose. They rebooted Children of the Corn. Is it good, do you know? Rupert rose to his feet and admitted, probably not, and said that he was tired and he yearned for his cot. But I heard him exclaim as he walked out of sight, but you'll probably watch it, Brit, won't you? And then say on Kino Kingdom that it was shite. And that's my little Christmas poem. That is beautiful. For the Kino Kingdom listeners. Well done. That's that's lovely. Lovely way to end the year. Do you think that sometimes they were half rhymes in that and sometimes the cadences and maybe even the amount of syllables slightly overran? I think that's all part of the creative process. You know, we need trailblazers in this world, rule breakers, people who try and make words rhyme when they don't. We need all that. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, we've got Neil Young for most of that. So that's <laughs> Fine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I know that's all in, in hand. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, and another little um, another little line that tickled me was a message from one of our regulars, Utah Smith, mm-hmm. and this was apropos of nothing. And he just said, 
Have you seen Uncharted? It's all right. Cheesy, but okay. It does have an animated scene of an airplane going from one country to another with a red line behind it, which I always love and is key to any good adventure movie, which is something we've covered before, haven't we, on this? Whenever it's like, whenever it shows a plane moving across the map, it's like, ah, here we go. Now now I'm involved. Now I'm in the magic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it needs a red line coming out the back of it. So you know where it's come from. Yeah, once you got watch a superimposed image of a Cessna like moving across the pond as like the people in the plane look at each other and smile in little montages. It's like, yeah, but but where is it traveling? I need to see a red line. I need to see. Exactly. I need to know that it's going from Luton Airport <laughs> to, to to Wilmslow, um, <laughs> Wilmslow bus station. Um, the Arkansas. There's been a lot of talk about this because uh, obviously last week we had a uh, <clears throat> our guest Laszlo Buckets on weaving his magic and he chose the Arkansas um, and it was from Kim Bassinger to Matt Smith. But of course, after it, after he chose that, that Arkansas, he sent us a message that said, Oh shit. I gave away a two stepper on the show. And the next day I had a message of Transvaal, another regular listener saying, have you had a lot of the same responses for the Arkansas? <laughs> And I said, no, not yet, because it's obviously only been out a day. Um, but yeah, on the show, he did. He just gave away a two-stepper. But don't worry, because Max still managed to miss it. <laughs> and, and, well, perhaps even worse, I managed to miss it, and I was there. You, and he told you about it afterwards. But I don't have any ears. You have to that. I can't actually oh, hear yeah. anything you're saying. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing by the length, uh, like the slight background m- mumble as, uh, is all I can hear. I'm just guessing what you're saying. My God, that would be a pain in the arse, wouldn't it? <laughs> you think podcasting probably isn't for me. Yeah, so you must have it up really loud and you can hear like the vibrations on your ears. So you're like, oh, he's talking. He's talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we yeah. stop talking. I better say something now. <laughs> It's probably about Robert yes. Darby. Yes, it's probably about like a product of Robert Darby's here. He's probably <laughs> reciting a bastardized Christmas poem that he's changed all the words to. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just laugh and talk I'll about just Robert Darby and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um. So okay, then I'll I'll make a noise and you've got to guess what what I what I'm saying, right? So, yeah. and respond in kind. So like. Um. Uh, <laughs> you're not as good at this as i thought yeah <laughs> this is this is quite difficult is it is what you're saying matt smith is in terminated genesis with arnold schwarzenegger who's in expendables 2 with bruce willis who's in blind date with kim basinger is oh that what you nice said? That is exactly what I said, bizarrely, yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a saucy three-stepper. Um, we've had another one. I haven't actually counted the steps to this, but this is Max, and he said, I'm going to I'm gonna change the pronunciation to Basinger because I've always said Bassinger, but I'm going to okay. trust you. This is like when our mutual friend Lee said Robert Logier, and I thought, oh, I've been saying Ooh. Logier for nearly 40 years, and I checked it, and he is right. It's Robert Logier, oh. he of the eyebrow. Um, he must have pushed his glasses up his nose after that one. They were behind him, floating <laughs> on. There were two little cherubs, like holding the, the arms uh, and flapping little, little wings. And he said, "Oh yeah, that, that's what happened when I get something so right that angels appear and like hold my glasses aloft yeah. above me, which kind of removes the practicality of the, of the spectacles being on yeah, his face." Can't, can't see anything. Um, so Max says that Kim Basinger was in Batman with Michael Keaton who is in Jackie Brown with Samuel Jackson, who is in Split with Anya Taylor-Joy, who is in Last Night with, in Soho with Matt Smith. 
I like it. I like the journey he's taking us on there. I, I I don't even know who Anya Taylor Joy is, and I don't know what Last Night in Soho is. She's the one in um, well, she's in Split, but uh, she she in The Witch, I think. Was she in recently? She's a slightly alien-looking lady. She's going to be playing Princess Peach in the new Mario movie. Anyway, oh, yeah. What, but what you and Max could have said is what Transvaal and Utah Smith said, which is given away by Laszlo in the last episode. Matt Smith is in Morbius with Michael Keaton, who is in Batman with Kim Basinger. So yeah. that's the two-stepper. That's the two-stepper that I know a lot of our listeners are thinking, uh, yeah, that's what I got as well. Well, some of um, us had the good taste not to watch Morbius, I suppose. So. <laughs> I still haven't watched it. What I have watched, Rupert, is, <clears throat> and it's courtesy of Warner Brothers, so a huge thank you to them. I watched Black Adam, um, and uh, and I and I knew when when we got the screener through, I said, oh, you'll have to come over, and we, we can watch it together. And you just you just didn't seem as enthusiastic as I was. No, that's bizarre. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, 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 I'll, I'll watch this. And I watched it with Faye. And she fell asleep towards the end, which is fine. You know, she's a busy woman, busy hard working woman. But I, I thought, well, I'm just staying and watching this bloody thing straight through. So I didn't realize um, we're both Dwayne Johnson fans. I like, actively am in a relationship with Pierce Brosnan. And I I didn't really know who Black Adam was. I mixed up Black Adam with Shazam. I thought it was like two names for the same character because I've never read any of the comics. I don't know why I thought that, but apparently they are linked somehow. Um, but I had no preconceptions about this film. I just know that I love The Rock and he's in this huge, you know, he's centerpiece of this film. Pierce Brosnan's in it. So I thought, well, it's going to have, it's got to be at least fun because The Rock is kind of a fun person. And it, it was, it's, it's possibly the first time that I watched a film and actually felt actively cheated. Like I was cheated as a viewer. Um, the plot is, it, it's, I'll just read a little bit of Wikipedia here. It's 2600 BC. So you at least a fortnight ago. And there's a tyrannical thing called Acton of this, uh, this, this kingdom called Kandak. And he, he has got a load of the people he's overthrown mining for this um, material called Eternium. So he can re- create a crown called the crown of Sabak. And the moment he makes, forges that crown up, puts it on his head, he is completely immortal and invulnerable. And he's got like the power of all of the gods combined. You wonder why they made it in the first place, to be honest. Um, good. And so one of the, the, the sort of slave children rises up and as he's about to be struck down for his impudence, he uh, sort of is bestowed with the powers of Shazam by the Council of Gods, effectively. And this gives him the power to to overthrow this king. But in this flashback that we are shown, that is clear to our eyes and is narrated clearly, um, as he enters the temple, the this Acton, this evil king, has just popped the crown on his head. And the narrator says, but he was too late. And the, 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 he had put the crown on and he was now, you know, the most powerful being in the universe. And then it fades to black and the narrator says, but the hero was victorious. And I thought, mm-hmm. hang, a ba- hang a banger now, hang a banger, because you've just said the moment he's put the crown on, he's like, that's it. He's won. And he's popped the crown on. And then you just said, ah, oh, but he lost, though. So instantly mm. I thought, right, okay, right, okay, don't, that doesn't explain it. And it comes Maybe the hero had an even better crown. 
<laughs> yeah, he said, ha ha, look at this one. And he's like, oh, yours isn't made of foil like mine. Um, it's made of real mackle. <laughs> That's how they spoke in 2600 BC. Yep. Um, and then it cuts to the present day, and it's a sort of group of explore, explorers looking for this crown, and uh, Kandak is just completely, it's, it's just a ruined city, really. It's just completely just overrun with them. Um, crime and it's all tyrannical and this uh this adventurer and her gang find the crown and they accidentally call back uh black adam known as teth adam into being and he basically saves them by kicking ass and then it's almost a fish out of water thing where he is he's just wants to go away again but they kind of dragging him to, to help them to say look you know you need us to take down this tyrannical government um so it's all pretty clean cut. It's all it's all like right. This is the plot. Off we go. And up until this point, I was kind of on board. The the the, the sort of action sequences are quite funky. There's a lot of use of like seventies rock music, and um, one of the characters in it is is genuinely quite funny. It's it's like the um, the, the female adventurers explorer. Sorry, her her brother, sort of pudgy brother, um, mm. who's like an electrician. And there's one funny part where he gets shot. And actually, I'll go to that bit. um, So what happens then, right? So you've got Black Adam, who's like this, one of the most powerful beings in the DC universe, from what I understand. And Amanda Waller, uh, played by, is it Viola Davis? I think it is Viola Davis. Yeah, she played uh, in both Suicide Squads. Yeah, yeah. The crap one and the slightly less crap one. Yeah. she gets and i've got to get the name of this guy right because i watched this film and i realized that hawkman right i mix up marvel and dc sometimes even though i'm you're thinking of poor guy no 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 i'm i'm thinking of falcon you know uh, as played by what's his face um no no no, (laughs) you're thinking of vulture oh my christ the guy Um, who's gonna anthony um, mackie Anthony Mackie, yeah, 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 right. So, and and this this guy, the guy who plays Hawkman in this, and I, I do apologise with these big films, I do get sort of locked. So, who is he? Aldous Hodge plays Hawkman, and his his presence, his uh, rigidity to to his line of duty is is he is effectively Hawkman is, as far as I can tell, just the DC version of Falcon. It, it was really, it's yeah. like. It's just that's what he is, and Amanda Waller's on a video link with him, and she says, "Okay, you know this, this, this. We've had this power surge. This is Black Adam's kind of comeback, or whatever. We need to, we need to take him down, or at least, you know, if he's a risk, we need to get a, a group together." She says, "What have you got?" And uh, Hawkman says, "Well, obviously, there's me. I can fly, and I've got a mace, and I've got a woman who is like a can of mace. I've got a mace. He's got this, like, as in a, you know, a mace, like a not a flail, you know, like a mace, you know, the spinny top is great. And he says, so I've, I'm, it's me, and I've got someone called Cyclone, which is just a young girl who can spin round quickly, and someone called Atom Smasher, and even Amanda Waller's yeah. like, who, who are these people again? Um, and he says, oh yeah, and what he should say is, well, Atom Smasher, you know, they say, oh, you, know, I hope you've got someone who, you know, who can who's got some weight behind him sort of thing, who can throw a punch, and he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry, we've got that covered. And what she should have said is, oh, so who is Atom Smasher? And then... Uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs> she should have said, it is effectively Ant-Man if he could only go big. Uh, and 
And then he's he tiny. Well, he's always tiny. No, he's he's just a bloke, like a bloke-sized bloke, who can then go super big, like fifty stories high. Um, but okay. they're just this really young, inexperienced team thrown together, um, and to take on this effectively this god that's come back. So I'm thinking, wow, this seems like the dregs of the barrel now. If the, your leader is someone who's a bit like the Falcon, and then you've got someone who's kind of like Ant Man, and then someone who can is spins around quickly what um and of course there's pierce brosnan's dr fate who he he just feels like he feels like he's giving it all but the film the film just hold, keeps holding him down he, dr fate's powers are never explained he keeps on staring into the middle distance and having visions of people's deaths and in fight sequences he can seem to multiply himself and create these sort of um force fields made out of what appear to be like shifting shifting diamonds again no real explanation as to his powers um and he has got this history and a lot of the emotional without any spoilers the emotional pull of the movie comes from the events that happen um that affect hawkman and dr fate but because the film is so oddly fast-paced in the way it's edited and yet really sluggish in the way the narrative moves forward you don't get any sense of like camaraderie between them or, or history. And, and they, it's by the time that certain sacrifices are made towards the end of the film, I really thought I'm meant to really feel a sense of decades long history between these two people. And I just do not feel that at all. They just seem like they've just met because they've got no chemistry. Um, and halfway through the film, you know, there's the fish out of water stuff. There's the funniest part of the film is easily a bit where, um, the brother who, who's in, uh, gets shot and he thinks he's dying. And then Dr. Fate touches him and says, don't worry, it's not your time. And then he says, well, but how, how do I die? And he says, well, just stay away from electricity. He's like, but I'm an electrician. Um, and that really tickled me. And, <laughs> and, and, but then, and Dr. Fate has some funny lines in it, but I have never seen a film quite with, they did not need this team. They did not need Atom Smasher. And they did not need Cyclone. They're just characters thrown in just as like fatten up the story. Um, he's kind of not got hold of his powers. So whenever he grows big, he's just sort of flailing around and causing mayhem and causing problems. They're all kind of rolling their eyes at him. Cyclone's just a bit snarky. And do you know what you said before about um, when people have traits, uh, they don't have character traits. They have kind of um, like ticks, almost things they do in lieu of character development. Yes. Like, in, like, in the, it, they'll just put in a... a a random quirk, uh, quirk to, yeah. to kind of define them without actually giving them any depth whatsoever, yeah. Like, in this, Atom Smash is always eating, and he's always like, oh, has anyone got any snacks? Or has anyone got one of these? And and you think, this, you know, in in Guardians of the Galaxy, that really worked with um, Dave Bautista's character. I've forgotten his name now. Uh, um, yeah, another one. It'd be another one. Like, he, he has yeah. it genuinely funny scenes and is you know it, it has moments which i'll go on later on because i'm going to talk about one of the, the one of those films well but, that i mean to be fair with him with him it's used it's quite well written isn't it because the whole thing about him is he's got no empathy sort of thing so he's just completely direct but then that brings him in direct conflict like when he actually builds a friendship it comes into direct conflict with like actually having to kind of show some sort of sensitivity towards people so you know it does become relevant as far as character development goes well no that, that, that's what i mean that's an example of it being handled yeah. well you yeah, know yeah. i mean um, it could have been yeah but i know what you mean it could just have been a quirk 
a random quirk which wasn't woven into the character Narrative, development. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so yeah, but so I haven't really talked about the Rock too much in this. The um, the Rock as Black Adam is is it was obviously really pushed as an anti-hero, but he just doesn't seem to want to help. And it's like this isn't my place. This isn't my time. This isn't my struggle. Um, and you know he has some because of how he is now powerful. Is there are some funny moments. But what happens halfway through the film is it almost I was watching it and sort of half half on board with it. And then halfway through, um, it, it's almost like the film says, or this is this is what actually happened thousands of years ago. Uh-huh. And, it, and it just paints a completely different picture. And two things happen. It's one, I thought, oh, that just feels like you've because you've not just hinted at this. <laughs> now you've just suddenly halfway through said, oh, there's all this extra backstory. Um, and. And I realized that, so I felt kind of cheated because it wasn't mm. like, oh, they don't, no one knows. And then he explains. It's like, it shows you. It shows you it happening and is narrated. And then it just backtracks. And also, I realized that, oh, the characters in like the, you know, this in 2600 BC, it just seems like a better story, like of like the slaves rising up and overthrowing, if you know what I mean. And it just seemed more, it had more power to it. And And then from then on, the latter half of the film is just, it's just action sequences, uh, you know, just going on and on. I mean, there's so much power being thrown around, and just mm. it's so desperate to set itself up for for further films. Yeah. And I just thought half of these people just don't need to be in this film. If it was, if there were fewer characters and it was more character driven, it, it would have had more focus and it would have held my attention. But it's just, it's trying to do too much. It's desperate to set itself up uh, mm. for more films. And it's and it's almost like Black Adam is so powerful. There's like nothing you can really do with him. It's like Superman. And at the end of it, um, this isn't really a spoiler, but Superman kind of basically comes into you know into the frame and says, "Oh, you know, me and you're gonna have to have a chat." And I thought, and I thought, not that's not exciting because you've got two incredibly overpowered people and they're going to have a boring fight. Like even if even if that did happen, and I instead it's probably not going to because of like how badly this film is done. But that you're setting up something that's incredibly boring. You know, um, is Superman Henry Cavill? Yes, yeah. Who my fancy, obviously. And of course, he's no longer Superman anyway, is he? So it kind of puts a stop oh, to that. Well, he's not Superman anymore. Now. What? No, I think he's done, isn't he? Uh, as far as I know. No, I think this was his way of returning. Surely, why would he? Why would he return? Uh, no, I think the... it part of because James is it James Gunn uh, is now taken over kind of like guiding the dc universe i'm pretty sure henry cavill hasn't got a place in it anymore uh oh fair enough i mean i'm sure he's doing all right i mean he's gonna go off and do warhammer 40k i guess but as long as as he does another witcher series i don't care what he does uh well he's doing one more though he is leaving that isn't he because he's replaced by liam hemsworth oh fair enough well but anyway yeah but when you're like temperamentally what is black adam like because He's very, he looks very frowny in the posters. Is he? Because my concern was like, is is Dwayne Johnson a good fit for this role? Because it's like he's got such natural charisma and humour. Uh, I mean, is he quite dour or is he quite funny? I don't know. He, he, he's he's dour. He's obviously like got the got the physicality of it down. But yeah, I yeah. think that. The, what happens is you never really see him you never see him alone or you never see him reflecting on anything he's always reacting to other characters and there's a character in it the uh, like a young sort of skateboarder 
um, who acts almost with him as, as like an Edward Furlong Terminator sort of vibe where he'll say, oh, when you kill people, you've got to have you've got to you know have a cool catchphrase. And then the rock will come out with like a catchphrase and, and it'll be like, you know, it'll he'll he'll kill someone, then say it. And they'll say, no, you've got to say it before you kill them. And it's it's this kind of clunky humor. So he, he is he's OK in the role, but mm. it's he's always reacting to other characters and the, and it it's i wouldn't say it's totally uneven it's just it's like it's desperate to get through to the end of its story so it can sort of set everything up for this huge universe that's going to open up that's the sense i got from it i, I just think that he is this is this is like a one and done i he yeah. he's a he's a bland it's a bland character you know he's effectively a a, a superman that frowns a bit more and is it sort of a man out of time? But again, he's just so powerful. Like the I things think, that he yeah. does. And... Like the stuff you're saying about this just seems like DC are falling into the same trap they keep on falling into, which is like trying to fast track an extended universe that people care about by having these ensemble movies as a way of kind of triggering, triggering a franchise or jumpstarting the franchise it seems like every one of these like because you get like was it justice league and all that kind of stuff mm. and they're all so desperate to be like the next avengers or whatever and then like they do all right but it's not it's not a, it doesn't feel like a cultural event it just seems like a desperate attempt more than anything to match marvel and they've got to stop doing that i mean marvel spent so many years building up these characters and of course like of course it began with a relatively underpowered character in the form of like Iron Man sort of thing. And so it built up and up to the likes of like Captain Marvel, etc., where you've got godlike status. So I know what you mean. Like having these godlike characters surrounded by <laughs> whoever, people who spin really fast or <laughs> whatever, or can like stare into the middle distance brilliantly. Like <laughs> that, that isn't, that isn't exciting. Um, they've got to take... Uh, well, I guess this was still part of DC's kind of output pre-James Gunn, so I don't know how he's going to change things. I mean, he's obviously going to... He's obviously ejecting the Zack Snyder-type folks, I suppose. So it'd be interesting to see what happens next. I'd like to see DC just focus on kind of darker, lower-budget movies like you know the batman and joker really <laughs> yeah oh, well, that's the thing i mean i've seen a few of these oh, i think i've seen most dc films actually apart mm. from one you just you're through the years and oh by the way you were talking about the justice league i thought hang on this is the justice league you know this of course is the justice society um hawkman oh. dr fate cyclone and Atom smasher yeah so um yeah, Batman the Joker and and DC Super Pets because that was like yeah. it was one and done. It's fine. I enjoyed that. Um, but it's just when they every time they try to get it's the problem I've got with Marvel and all fairness. It's Marvel obviously much more successful at it. It's just getting these enormous powers in huge groups of people. I just much rather see a film where it's like a handful of characters. Um, that are kind of well drawn out, just you know, delivering the moodiness, delivering the goods. Instead yeah. of just making it feel like, like bright, where it's like the film cannot wait to get to the end to set up the next film. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's it's not a good look, is it? Yeah. It's quite dispiriting when you get to that point. 
I mean, I, like I said, I, I like Dwayne Johnson, and I've seen a few films of him recently, and, I, and I'm a big fan of like him as a person. Uh, and, and and then, but then you you watch him in this and just think, it it just I don't know. It's is he boring. the right man for this job? Is he the right man? Yeah, and is it is it even the right character, or is this the right film to have done? I think anytime someone does something with the intention of crafting a franchise, I think it's just it's almost. It's like they cut, they, they drop in all these little like bits and pieces and tidbits and Easter eggs, and you're like, oh my god, what, just think about what we're going to do or not in the case as the case maybe if this doesn't do as well. And I don't know, it just feels like you're watching a film maybe like like a group of excitable children as opposed to well, something that's like a crafted vision in and of itself. All of those Easter eggs and stuff, I guess, uh, a fan service, which I suppose can be all right. But I, what I don't understand is why is it that why is there this assumption that like another part of the fan service should be opening it up as a franchise? Like, is it that fans are going to get to the end and, oh, it's got a conclusive ending and they're suddenly going to be horrified. Quick, let's add three bloody post-credit sequences to make sure it's absolutely clear that we're going to be throwing another $300 million at this, this thing. It's like, just leave it, you know? I mean, you Go do a sequel if it's successful, but make it a conclusive film. It, yeah, I, I just don't understand why. Like, if I if I was at say I was a massive Black Adam fan, right, and I've like waited for you know, there's never been a film, and they bang it out, and if they just said we're just going to make a film, and then it, if it does well, there's always ways to branch off it, isn't it? I mean, it, it's people always coming back to life. So many people have got like the powers of resurrection in these things, or they could say it's a different timeline, right? They can just say, look, let's just do the best story that we can, which, you know, is like calls back to like a lot of like the best, most well loved, beloved comics or whatever, and make this amazing film. And then it, if we can make another one after it, so be it. And that way, yeah. it's not so, it's not so reliant on it having to be a massive success. Well, and that's, yeah. I guess that's the other thing is I think what's particularly aggravating about that franchise opening final act is the is when it's unearned, like it's a new thing. It's an unknown entity. And they just it is kind of it seems really presumptuous on the part of the filmmakers, of the studio to to say, right, this is going to be a franchise when it could be complete junk, as so many of them are. And it sounds yeah. like Black Adam is as well. Yeah, I I, um, I was kind of disappointed because I thought it's at least I think we realise how good Marvel are at it because we always say on the podcast that, you know, most Marvel films are like a solid seven out of ten that always fine. And they always lose both of us, I think, as the action gets too big in the in the final act. Mm. But with this, it was like they were like problems throughout. You, you know, it was yeah. I was constantly questioning decisions and, and wondering why certain characters were in the film, what purpose they served. Um so yeah okay well from a big blockbuster movie to a small independent film called avatar way of the water <laughs> i've not seen either of these films so i would okay be for a lot of this <laughs> so well okay maybe i'll need to may need a bit of a glossary as we go through here then uh I'm not going to go over the plot of the first film, um, but it, it will, suffice to say, it's still set on Pandora, this alien world. Now, Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, is now 
full navi so blue alien and he's had kids with zoe saldana's character um plus they've adopted sigourney weaver's daughter from the first film sigourney weaver in the first film her daughter uh they've adopted her and the daughter is actually played by sigourney weaver very strange uh mm. and there's also in the same tribe there's a human a young human who is quaritch's son now quaritch was played by stephen lang in the original film he was the bad guy in the original so um, his son is running around kind of kind of feral he looks like that he's kind of reminds me of that boomerang kid from road warrior which is weird <laughs> so yeah there aren't many movies where you get to see sigourney weaver play sam worthington's daughter so here you go some some strange <laughs> casting decisions to shoehorn characters into the narrative but there you go which of course brings us to quaritch himself who um just so before he, you carry on what was what was your takeaway from, are you a fan of the first film uh i would say just fan. just i quite just so i know it. how you're approaching this one i quite liked the first film it had a lot of criticism for being unoriginal in terms of his plot which is probably true it was very it was kind of basically dances with wolves type thing except on an alien planet and it um but i thought it i don't see there was anything wrong with updating that story because i mean it was pocahontas and all that before that and and in it was put into such a a rich and beautiful world that i thought well yeah you know he, you can bring across that message throw in a bit of kind of ecological uh stuff in there to bring it up to date and yeah it worked pretty well and it was visually astonishing really uh and i quite liked it it was it went along nicely and um stephen lang is was brilliant he's he's such a cool bad guy so of course they had to bring him back for this they didn't, they didn't have to but they have brought him back for this so he's playing Quaritch again, except, spoiler alert, he died in the first film, but he had his consciousness downloaded into a Navi body. So you, you've kind of got Stephen Lang, but not really, because he's like a, he is mo-capping a, a young alien. So anyway, Quaritch wants revenge on Jake Sully for killing him. So he takes this crew of bad guy navi down to pandora to hunt down the sully clan so sam worthington jake sully he he and his family flee the forest and they get sanctuary with a sea-based tribe of navi um but of course quaritch and his goons are coming for a very watery showdown uh so yeah as i mentioned the original plot of the first film wasn't highly original but it was kind of solid and mythic certainly and there was clear conflict between like the animistic locals and the military industrial complex now and there was clear motivation there as well because they the military industrial complex was there to mine this special ore this film essentially has the same plot without the motivation there and that's really my main problem with Way of the Water and why I think it's worse than the first film, because it's a rehash, really. And there are new environments to savour and lots of new unintelligible mythologies. 
but it's essentially the same stakes. It's the same conflicts playing out. They're just slightly remixed. And James Cameron, he is a brave and progressive filmmaker in a technical sense, but he just seems so meek and conservative at the dramatic level these days. It's a bit depressing. Like Pandora, the planet could, could have been explored in any number of new ways because, you know, you could have had like a quest or something like that, or you could have riffed on a different genre maybe, but instead he just falls back on exactly the same conflicts as the first one, same characters I mean, coming back bringing back the same characters in the most contrived ways same music the same editorial rhythm the same cliches and it commits that classic middle movie crime because yes there are going to be more sequels insofar as virtually nothing has changed at the end like in terms (laughs) of like the narration that literally says as much that basically nothing's changed there's like at least one key character death, I suppose, but it's still way less conclusive this time, this film, presumably because Avatar 3 has already been shot. But at least the original Avatar did, kind of brings us back to the Black Adam thing, the original Avatar did have a definite ending to it, and it was done and dusted. It could have lived as it did for 13 years, whatever, could have lived quite happily on its own. There is one vaguely new theme in this which is family solidity because it's all about the kind of how jake sully keeps his family together whilst you know on the run from crazy military nutter in an alien body um but yeah that that comes kind of at the expense of character death a depth i found because sam worthington who isn't exactly the most (laughs) actor anyway his character has been reduced to a single dimension in this film. He's just protect the family. Zoe Saldana has lit- basically no dimensions at all, other than to basically tut and roll her eyes at Sam Worthington. Uh, so I found that to be some, some oddly regressive sexual politics for a, especially for a James Cameron film. I mean, at least in the first film, Sam Worthington's character had something to prove because he was, of course, at the start, it's revealed that he's, uh, paraplegic and so he needs to kind of get into this body in order to kind of prove himself on the battlefield sort of thing and also prove that he's sort of like a a morally worthy person etc but in this one there's basically zero character development in the whole movie outside of physical events i can't think of a single character who ends the movie in a different place to where they began which is amazing for a film which is over three hours over three mm. hours so it, it, i will say it does look quite stunning in, in parts like the underwater scenes uh, which often involve these huge armored whales are a little bit free willy at times i won't lie but they are definitely like the most special visual effects ever created saying oh, that right. <clears throat> still does have that slightly cheap digital superimposition thing when humans are mixed into the CG, but it is mostly CG and very much from the alien perspective this time. So honestly, it might as well be an animated movie. I think that the character, you know, the character I mentioned earlier, the one who looked like the boomerang kid from road warrior. Yeah. He, I, I think he's the only human running around amongst these aliens. 
it's like he's just added to remind us that it is a live action film. <laughs> like it might, otherwise it literally might as well just be animated. Um, so the last hour is pure action, but not in a satisfying way. Unfortunately, we end up with multiple concurrent peril scenes, none of which makes sense given what we've seen of the characters and their capabilities up to that point. And the climax harks back to some very specific sea disaster scenes from Titanic, in fact, and especially The Abyss, both James Cameron films, of course. But then that just draws into focus how much weaker this film is than both of those films, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, So this was disappointing. And apparently this... James Cameron's come out and said this has to, this film has to make like a couple of billion to break even, <laughs> which is I don't know whether that's because taking into account Avatar three, which is I think already been filmed. So I'm not sure about I don't know sure about its chances. I mean, the most successful film this year was, of course, Top Gun Maverick. And the general consensus is that it was the kind of throwback to a more grounded filmmaking style that made that such a success. It felt refreshing in, you know, in the years since the original Avatar came out, uh, we've had the Marvel revolution, for example, which is, which has normalized massive scale uh, graphics, heavy action in three hour, narratives uh and so i think i do think this is a bit of a step forward in visual effects but i can't like if you think about the impact the original avatar had and how much much more of a step forward that was i don't know whether that novelty is going to be the same this time around so i don't know whether people are going to keep going back to the cinema to watch it but who knows uh, but mm. there's zero competition for like two months, so maybe it has got a chance. I don't know. It just depends on whether people want to go to the cinema anymore, really, I guess. Um, yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, I, I've never seen the original Avatar. I assume it's a film I'll watch at some point. But, yeah, it's um, all right. <clears throat> yeah, I but mean, I wouldn't, but you could watch that and it has an this. ending and you could be done with it quite happily. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm assuming if they watched it in the credits rolled, I wouldn't be thinking, oh, do you know what? I might wait 13 years for some more Sam Worthington action. <laughs> That's the other thing. So much time has passed just in terms of like characters and stuff. But I think if there's one message to take away, if you didn't like the original Avatar, there's no reason why you should like this Avatar. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, actually, I can continue the theme of visuals because I, I watched a few uh, sort of Christmas, spe- or not Christmas, like specials, if you know what I mean, uh, TV specials um, that were recommended okay. to me. And the, the first of these was I watched Werewolf by Night, which is on Disney Plus, because I like werewolves. And um, Werewolf by Night is a character, a, a Marvel character who's, yes, a werewolf. Um, and this is this is a Marvel film right? that's really, really good, and it's 53 minutes long. Oh, halcyon days. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's it's one of those. It's almost just like a, it's just a creature feature. Effectively, it starts off on a character called Ulysses Bloodstone, who's a monster hunter, has died, and he has captured a monster in this maze in his gr- the grounds of his of his castle, and 
got together a group of five of the best monster hunters in the world and whoever hunts and successfully kills the monster will be granted his powers and effectively take over in his in the bloodstone gang and it's got like a chain of command sorry and it's got this the titular bloodstone is this thing that um sort of reacts against monsters and gives you powers of immortality or whatever it's just a macguffin effectively so of course what we've got is it's just a perfect excuse to have like a cool monster that's being hunted and then have these five hunters go at him all the ulterior motives one of them is it's played i'm not sure you pronounce his name um it's the main guy is i think it's gail garcia bernal uh who is his name oh, yeah. is Jack Russell, he is the he's the werewolf by night. It's no spoiler to say that. Uh, Laura the guy Donald, from old and yeah, yeah. I've never seen him before. I don't think so. He was new to me, but he is cool. great in this. Um, he is uh, so, and Laura Donnelly plays Elsa Bloodstone. Ulysses Bloodstone's a strange daughter who's come back to try and uh, sort of prove that she's one of the greatest hunters. And then there's this smashing of other ones making up the cast. Um, it's made clear very quickly that um. Gail Garcia Bernal's character, Jack Russell, who's the wolf, is just there to actually, he's a friend of this monster that's been captured for this sort of game, and he just wants to just rescue him. Um, and their interactions are so heartwarming and funny that and it completely makes the film because the first time he's kind of a, like a jittery character this this uh obviously they don't know he's a werewolf and he's just walking around this maze it's all beautifully shot in monochrome as well um there's no color until right at the very end and it's really stunning when it is revealed in color but it's done like a 40s universal film and it's just him wandering around this, ma- this maze basically trying not to get into any trouble and then this huge hand comes out of this um this huge sort of monstrous hand just clasps him around the chest from behind this massive bush and he jumps and he's like dead and turns around and the man thing that is the monster that's being hunted this like shambling 10 foot plus sort of cthulhu-esque beast comes out and it's like and they just start like oh you're doing ted it's so funny and it's just so heartwarming they're such casual interactions um and yeah, and then the and then the the sort of uh, you know they realise he's a wheel of capture him and he breaks out and loses his mind and blah blah blah. It's only fifty five minutes long, but I watch this and it's beautifully shot. The music is astonishing, and the werewolf transformation is um is it's really well done because obviously you go back to like a werewolf transformations pretty much all go back to you know uh, American Wolf in London, which is brilliant that transformation sequence, and the way it does it in this is a really good way of getting around just not repeating that. Um, the werewolf itself is kind of a Wolfman style werewolf, where it's just basically mm. a hairy bloke, which I initially thought oh that's disappointing because I quite like the horrible monstrous looking werewolves, but again, the whole thing is just really well handled and it is so worth it for the interactions between man thing and werewolf by night i just i i turned to Faye after it finished and said i wish i could just put on a two-hour film just with those two just just like a buddy comedy i would happily watch it it's so so wholesome and warming um i like so, i like the runtime yeah this is one of the parts of it and i like gail I, garcia banal I've liked he's him. yeah he's, he's just he's, so amiable in this he's such an amiable man he is he's yeah and he's he's got you know he can he can act and he's he's got real kind of uh presence i i i remember seeing him in like an old alfonso Cuaron film called Itu mama tambien which he starred in with diego luna and i just remember thinking these two of course diego luna's gone on to do like star wars and stuff like that and i was thinking at the time 
these two are going to be like big stars and they have you know built on that so that's cool obviously diego luna i don't know if you know it's uh that's actually spanish for dave moon uh, a <laughs> little a little bit of a, a little bit of trivia there yeah. um, <laughs> um yeah in he actually um bernard in this reminded me a little bit of uh taika Wai, uh, kiki taika waititi um, but if he wasn't so sort of self-aware and slightly smug, I mean, I like him as right, well, yeah, yeah. but he just comes as a more grounded version of, of that sort of um, right, character. Yeah. A, almost a less ironic version of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I heartily recommend this. Like I say, it's 50 minutes and it just, it was so, I just, like I said, I, I wish that there was just another three or four kind of episodes just with these characters in, because I was completely on board, more than I've been with any other Marvel film I, I've seen. I, I was it finished and I thought, right, I'm a fan. I love these characters. I love this setup. I, I, I love the dialogue. I love the setting, love the presentation. Just give me more of this. Uh, so it's called so, Werewolf yeah. by Night. Yeah, and that's on Disney+. Plus magnificent also on disney plus is barbarian which we were gonna get we were gonna ask laszlo buckets to uh to chip in on this one because he's a big fan of this there's a lot of big fans of this actually he's got really good reviews so this is a rupert a stamp on those (laughs) fans and dreams not well not exactly but it, this is a very recent horror from Zach Kreger in his full writing and directing debut. Um, and I will say it shows promise. Definitely. It's a, a young woman arrives at an Airbnb property in a shitty area of Detroit. And it turns out it's already been rented by Bill Skarsgård. Pennywise himself. Um, he is disarmingly pleasant eerily so and she reluctantly because various reasons why she can't really go anywhere else it's a very dodgy area for a start but she ends up reluctantly staying there with him now she discovers a secret in the basement which changes everything and i'm not going to tell you any more about the plot because what happens next is somewhat marmite in nature uh (laughs) So I I don't know it may turn some people off it maybe just what they're looking for but it's a film that relies very heavily on deception and distraction it's big twists and uh, so these ninety degree narrative turns they they exist almost like to draw your gaze away from what I think is a very simple and poorly thought through horror at its centre. It's like a really well-made film of rapidly diminishing returns because the first no first half hour I'd say is really well done and genuinely creepy uh, and disarming. Uh, By the time the finale arrives, you wonder if the screenplay is literally being written on the fly. Seriously, like the last set piece in this film makes no sense in the physical universe we inhabit or the one established within the film. And that comes after a whole sudden segment where Justin Long turns up in the movie, which of course he does. Yeah. Halfway through. Um, and it's got like, 
it's got these kind of cool flashbacks sequences to the 80s but there's all this in all these inventive tracking shots and this uneasy dialogue but it doesn't distract from the fact that the eventual reveal of what is going on in this basement is genetically and chronologically illogical it's frustrating because the build-up's so good and the and there's this constantly escalating procession of horrors which is intriguing like um it's essentially there's a is a sequence where it's like put it this way there's she finds a doorway and she beyond the doorway is a corridor beyond the corridor is another doorway beyond that is <laughs> like a set of steps downwards and then there are more doorways and it and it's like i kind of i really like that kind of like um oh my god things how can things be any worse than they already are but oh yes they are yeah yeah I guess it's just the payoff that doesn't it doesn't work for me. Uh, it's nothing to keep it all together. Uh, well, something that Laszlo mentioned that there may be a theme of toxic masculinity in the movie. Um, hence the title Barbarian, perhaps. But perhaps it's perhaps he's onto something there. It may be about how like a toxic patriarch can almost like feed the vilest impulses of womanhood of, of motherhood through the generations so there's something there there is a definite theme there somewhere but i found the film got dumber as it went on and it's certainly got no kind of mind-bending reveal you know in the vein of cabin in the woods or anything like that but without spoiling anything it, it borrows most heavily from the likes of texas chainsaw uh, and don't breathe and even a bit of Jeepers Creepers, dare I say. And mm. to be fair, it is better than one of those movies. So, got that. Um, well, you didn't say Jeepers Creepers 2 or 3, so that's good. <laughs> that's a good one. Why is it mm. called Barbarian? That's the question. Uh, and as Laszlo pointed out, it's set on somewhere called Barbary Street. But at, apparently the director has actually explained there is no real reason. He just thought it was intriguing. Uh which is kind of like the film I thought. That's, I thought that's, that's an irritating. Why is it called mm. that? I don't know. It's just intriguing. Oh, that's bullshit. Apparently, it? it was it's like, like a, a working title which he kept, and it it kind of summed up the film in a way. Like it's like initially intriguing. It's something which captures the attention, but in the end, doesn't really follow through with it, and isn't really coherent, and 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 falls apart. You know, it doesn't really hold anything together i i just thought it, it a lot of horror films do follow this uh trajectory as we know of getting worse and worse as they go through but i think what's particularly disappointing about this is it's so good at the start and so bad at the end oh really it, just, it takes a nosedive does it yeah but yeah um maybe it maybe others will think that it's in some way scary or cool or shocking i thought it was just ridiculous oh really? what well, so i mean I, I, i'm intrigued now i kind of want to talk to you more about this but, but i don't want you to spoil it so but it, you for you it took a nosediving quality as it got more and more ridiculous uh, yes as it got more and more schlocky and i've got no problem with schlock but it's it's set up as one thing and it like 
I'm not even sure I mind the tonal shifts because it really does take a tonal shift halfway through and that's and that's fine but really like you know you you've seen you see the first like 45 minutes or whatever sudden tonal shift and essentially you're just like repeating the same stuff again but with a different slightly more irritating character really what's happening um and then of course you get to the the final sequence where like physical space makes no sense people do things which cannot be done (laughs) and that's bothersome because it's breaking rules you know if if the film isn't going to set down special rules then we have to assume that the rules like real life rules should be adhered to if you see what i mean yeah it's cheating um i just well i'll do a a quick one because i've got a few to get through and i I don't want to be i know we spend a lot of time on black adam so i watched the guardians of the galaxy holiday special just because it was recommended to me by face brother and uh, have you seen this at all sorry by the way i have not well it's another one i think it's like 40 45 42 minutes so just an extended episode really um and it just follows uh chris pratt as peter quill slash star lord uh it's his birthday and i don't actually know the names of these characters um and drax uh the destroyer david batista character and um oh who's the other the main woman in this mantis decide to go and get Kevin Bacon, who's obviously one of his, because he loves the 80s, doesn't he, Peter Quill, goes and gets Kevin Bacon and and sort of steal him as, as a gift for his birthday, um, okay. which is kind of a funny idea. And yeah, and Kevin Bacon is bang up for it. He's he's just, uh, they go to, he's just, it's just an extended like foot chase sequence when they just try to steal him from his house. And he's just like waiting for, for Kira Sedgwick to come home with his daughter and he just gets involved <laughs> in this ridiculous chase at Christmas. So it is quite Christmassy. There's lots of, um, they reference it all the time and uh, it starts off with i have a problem with bands fictional bands in mm-hmm. movies when they play a song that's supposed to be good and it's not um there's a band called the old 97s i've heard of them and they 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 at the start of this they just say they're on this like planet somewhere and peter quill's wandering around and they say oh look we've just we've just got these instruments yeah we've you know we've we just found them and they burst into like a song like a really overproduced middle of the road rock indie rock song and it finishes and star lord's like and you only just got these instruments you say uh look it's quite funny because obviously they were quite proficient on them but the song itself is just really cheesy and mm. oh, i just have problems with that in movies um so mm. yeah the whole film then switches back you know he's bliss he's out of it pretty much and it's just uh a story about how yondu uh, michael rooker's character sort of uh, basically shit shit on christmas for everyone and and then it's just a buddy comedy as they go to earth and dave batista and mantis try to get kevin bacon and it's fine it feels about the right length because yeah. there were some funny moments in it but by the end of it even even the kind of the it, as, as well filmed as it was and as and as light-hearted and christmasy as it was and festive it was it was it was running out of steam and i'm glad it ended when it did so it was like mm-hmm. a little 40 minute um i still haven't watched volume two guardians of the galaxy so of course in this one they're talking about characters that are dead or married or, or like in love and i'm like <laughs> okay okay then um so i think i yeah. preferred volume two guardians of the galaxy well it had kurt russell in it for a start so it's instantly better then yeah yeah, yeah. um 
So yeah, it, it just as if you, you know over the Christmas period, Disney Plus Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. It's a it's a nice, hmm. warm, festive, family friendly forty two minutes of fun. Just don't expect to be blown away by the musical number at the start of it. Um, so they're not a real band. Uh, they are, yeah, the old ninety sevens. They are a real band, which makes it even worse because, Ooh. of course, it's like a full four minute song. So it's like a joke Ooh. of him standing in front of them, just like, and they're just playing this this song, and oh my god, it, yeah, I, str- I struggle, Rupert. I really do struggle. Okay, okay. Well, I'll do a quick, uh, let's do a two minute trashing, which is harsh because this is a film that stars Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. Have you seen this, The Stranger? Um, Not that one, or that one, or anyone except the 2022 film. Well, I haven't seen it then. If that's the case, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I've seen a couple called. Oh, no, I probably, probably seen a film called The Stranger at some point. Um, but this one is an Australian psychological thriller, starring yes, Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. Um, so it should be the per- Sha- the best Sean, film ever made. I yes, 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 Harris, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean Harris is and obviously he's soft-spoken naturally but also he's got like a, a perfect australian accent in it but anyway so joel edgerton is an undercover cop who's getting close to sean harris's character because sean is the prime suspect in a child abduction slash murder case and it's all about this stilted but ultimately empath- empathetic relationship and meanwhile the ongoing police procedural alongside it and there are good performances from harris and edgerton as you'd expect uh but it's more the script and the filmmaking which is a problem here because the main character's relationship is it is unspoken to the point of simply being ill-defined i would say like (laughs) even they can't do the heavy lifting sufficient to actually convince you of this characters these characters growing relationship uh but what really completely ruins the film for me is the police investigation scenes, which are utterly like stultifying and unconvincing and full of hammy performances and needless conflict where people just walk into rooms and start arguing instantly rather than just being professionals. There's no reason for them to be arguing with each other. It's just so forced. Uh, and the way so that's a script problem and a direction problem, really. And then you've got the lighting, which is but it's a parody. It's like even with multiple light sources, everyone is just bathed in inky darkness. It's ridiculous. Um, it is a film that manages to completely bungle its storytelling consistently by jumping back and forth, providing scant key information. So it's like really needlessly confusing. Uh and but really ultimately the problem is the film is banking on the story which is baffling and the central relationship for its final emotional payoff and it doesn't land it at all it's a boring film which is probably the worst crime of all really disappointing not recommended unfortunately i mean even though it's got joel edgerton and sean harris not right yeah that's that, that, that's actually quite shocking because they mm-hmm. they they and this is the kind of film they should they they kind of designed for yeah really you know? yeah. i mean sean harris is made for this sort of role of a slightly creepy ambiguous man who may have murdered a child 
Because whatever role he's playing, I think you, this character may have murdered a child, frankly. Yeah, even if he's just like, even if he's doing a voiceover only part in like Toy Story 6, you're like, have you murdered any kids? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then he's and then he's, he can't quite hear his answers. Like, can you speak up a bit, please? Yeah, you should never be in a Christopher awesome. Nolan film. You never know what he's saying. Oh say, my, you? You, yeah, yeah. He would it would be lost. It would be lost in the static, wouldn't it? My third <laughs> album. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fed up with not talking about El Cazador de la Muerte or Deathstalker, a 1983 sword and sorcery film. Directed by James Spardalati, credited as John Watson, obviously. (laughs) Um, Actually. This is a film, right? Have you ever heard of the Deathstalker films? There's four or five of them. Yes, I've heard of... I keep being recommended Deathstalker 2 for some reason, even though I've never seen Deathstalker 1. I will tell you. Oh, I'm going to do two and one for you, and save you some time. Um... This I don't know if people listen to this when I type in Deathstalker film in, in, into say Wikipedia. Um, the cover shows uh like a huge mace wielding ogre on like a craggy rock, fighting a, a man in a loincloth wielding a sword, as the ogre like holds a woman reaching out to the hero, and in the background there's like a there's a like a man approaching him from behind. It's a drawing. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a drawing. But this is a film. A nice that, like, drawing. When it's I was, cool. but a but a but a drawing nonetheless. <laughs> <That's not laughs> cool what it is. I was. This is when I went to the video store. This is one that I saw the cover of all the time, and I just never watched it. But I, I was always, I loved movie monster movies, and I just never watched this. So when it was recommended to me on, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say this is another hint as to the quality, Amazon Prime. I thought, well, I can finally like this just 25 year odyssey. I can put it to rest and actually watch Deathstalker. That ogre on the front of the cover that is drawn does not appear in the finished product. It is Rick Hill is the titular Deathstalker, and he's this um, ruffian, this this like really buff, bewigged ruffian that wanders wanders this the, the sort of roaming the the earth, just like shagging and swinging his sword around. Mm-hmm. And he gets asked by a king to go and take down Munkar, this. Um, this evil wizard that has taken over the kingdom. Um, Rick Hill wears a wig in this film, and it is so clearly a syrup of figs because he he doth not sweat, no matter what he is going through. It is not nearly a bead of sweat on his hair. Um, he's also just a serial rapist as well. Um, okay. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about these sword and sorcery films. That the one I watched, the Sword and the Sorcerer, with Albert Pian last episode, the same thing where you know I said. Like the the hero will like rescue a woman uh, from being raped and then just try to rape her himself. Uh, the the same thing happens in this. He rescues this woman from being assaulted by these horrible like goblins at the start, and and even before like the, they they're being chased off, he's like trying to whip his trousers down and she's saying no no and he's like shut up shut up shut up. And I thought, well that's the hero then is it? Um, and yeah, the only reason he doesn't just like rape someone on film is just because like he gets interrupted by like another wizard who basically put, puts him off his stroke. Um, just so fuck off, Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, God's like I'm trying to get a bit of blood in him so he doesn't look small. Um, yeah, so he they they say like you know go and Deathstalker go and uh, go and kill this evil wizard so he can take over. Uh, you know, take back my kingdom, and. It's just this weird like procession 
of like softcore porn scenes effectively um he meets this woman he he almost gets bested in a sword fight by this woman he meets on the road and it just it's just turns out to, well it, you think it's a man because it's just got it's just got a hood up and then of course he cuts he cuts the cloak she's wearing and sees just tits which she then doesn't put away for the rest of the film so if you imagine if it just they're just out literally yeah. out and he goes to this evil lord Munkar's uh castle where he's having this debauched like you know a massive piss up the night before this tournament to decide who is going to be his first in ha- commander or whatever first in command and he just says oh yeah just have your way with my with my women and then of course there's just a protracted sequence of a bloke with like a pig's head really buzzing as well he's always like dribbling and it's all practical effects she's like this really buff man with like a pig's head just dribbling as he's like fondling these women and it just turns into like a group sort of rape almost oh, like right. the women just being thrown around and like having drinks thrown over them and like fondled and licked off them and squealing and thrashing around and all the men like laughing at them and it goes on for a while it's not shy um mm. and and then you realize is there a story and there's, there's a bit in this and there's a really confusing bit in this film where and I, i'm sure if we if we broke it down between us we would we would be very uh find the sort of sexual politics very unclean in that the monkar the wizard says oh we need i need you to turn into someone who can get close to Deathstalker and then like kill him because when he's holding the sword he's he's indestructible but when it's out of his hands he's he's um mortal and so you'd think you would sellotape that sword to your fucking hand wouldn't you you'd never put it down you, especially if you're like in a place where you could just get killed at any moment um i would be holding it tightly um but he so he says, oh, well, what we're going to do is turn you into, like, his lover, and then you're just going to go to his room. So this oh, bloke, right. this this bloke, who is, you know, this sort of underling, it's like, what? And then he turns him into a woman, so he, like, grows breasts and turns out this beautiful woman. And then right. he sends him in there to sort of seduce him. But, of course, Deathstalker, being a really deeply unpleasant man, just instantly tries to just start raping her. And so you've got a woman, a man masquerading as a woman like being raped but also it's like it's almost it's like is it gay is are we supposed to think oh this is even more uncomfortable because that's actually a bloke and then again it's like another sort of stopped sexual assault because Deathstalker just sort of stops and says oh what's wrong with you what's wrong with you and then and then get out what are you and it's like what what he wouldn't he wouldn't know anything was amiss because it's just a perfect woman uh, and yet with the soul of a man yeah and so it's just this really bizarre scene that again goes on for far too long and um and yeah it just turns out that um at the end of it, it he i can't even remember what happens it's like they just it's just constant boring fights uh and 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 then he says oh actually you know this artifact that gives monk strength he just chucks it in a well or something and it kills him but it's just what i what i take away from the film is just the constant dubious sexual politics and just constantly mm. parade, parading women just getting like slapped and abused and and, and that it takes by far takes the most screen time in terms ahead of any like monsters or like you know heroic action or action yeah it's just really unpleasant not so much death stalker as woman stalker really isn't it <laughs> yeah woman hater um yeah and um the sequel it apparently well i say apparently i watched 20 minutes of it because it just uses a lot of reused footage from this it's just it's just even more low let's say even lower budget filmed in argentina again 
but Rick Hill is replaced by someone else or you know, who still plays the Deathstalker character and it's played even more for like sex comedy laughs and I just yeah. thought I thought I'm not sitting through this again I'm not watching like fo- reused footage of characters who are not in this film and then like just women getting pushed around for an hour and a half there's another two films as well I'm not but I'm just not willing to watch them at all okay alright I won't follow up on that recommendation from amazon prime are they well, both the, on amazon the, prime the, yeah they are and the fact the fact that it's recommended the second to you over the first is baffling absolutely baffling because like it's clearly just a worse film even though the first one is dreadful dreadful it's terrible okay um let's switch oh, back to netflix then because I watched All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay, I don't know what this is. It's a war movie. Uh, it's a German language adaptation of the novel, which was, I suppose, most famously filmed in the 30s, uh, and then later uh, it was filmed as a TV movie in the 70s. And yet I've never heard of it. Bizarre, bizarre series of events. So, yeah, it's set in France in the final months of the First World War. And it focuses on a group of young men who are seduced to fight for their country with all the usual talk of courage and honour. While the generals attempt to negotiate an armistice, uh, these boys start understanding the horrible reality of the trenches, which is blood, rain and basically unending misery. And... It does feel like a novel, I've got to say. It's it's quite episodic. Uh, like it doesn't. I mean, there are there are overarching events, I suppose, because it cuts between the horrors of kind of trench warfare, and whilst meanwhile these armistice negotiations going on, um, and really not getting anywhere. But it's like if only they could just call a ceasefire sort of thing, then the horrors would be over for these kids, basically, because they are basically kids. Um, it's very beautifully yeah. realised, but I think, it, for me, it, it lacks characterization. Like, um, I, it, it misses those moments, like the Saving Private Ryan really did well, where it had these really cool, quiet character moments between, like, the kind of, like, frenzy of war it's also got extremely irritating music which stands out which swings between this bombastic generic kind of uh, orchestral score to this really monotonous industrial dirge which i found very jarring indeed um it i think it's hard to make a war movie without the usual brothers in arms cliches and so i think you need a unique hook and I suppose the closest thing to this would be something like 1917, which is, of course, First World War as well, the Sam Mendes movie. Uh, the hook in that was it was quite a simple plot, apart from anything, but it also had the the one shot conceit, which really drew you in. Um, and then you got something like Come and See, which had the child's perspective on war. And then you got something like uh, Full Metal Jacket which has the duality structure or you've got something like thin red line 
which has its po like poetry moments between the horrors and i'd say that all quiet on the western front doesn't really have anything to distinguish it other than being solidly made like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's one that will live long in the memory the battle scenes are amazing but you'd expect that nowadays with the technology we got sort of thing uh i think there are some hammy performances in it which takes away somewhat from the very gritty trench warfare stuff like there's this decadent german general like constantly like skulking in candle he looks like bloody um what's his name dr robotnik from sonic so ridiculous and um and he has just constantly has this doberman at his side he he may as well be twiddling his moustache frankly uh it's 2.5 hours of quite gorgeous hell but it doesn't have much to distinguish itself or break out from a core audience of war movie fans i think if you bang into like combat movies then this is catnip but i think mm, for a general audience i'm not sure it's really got enough else other than uh very cool uh, i say cool but you know very impressive uh combat sequences and a relentless procession of horrors of war i don't know i'm not i'm not sure it's saying anything new about war i mean we kind of we knew it was horrible (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) that sounds a bit harsh but it is like it doesn't it is lacking a hook for me oh so it's just it's just a meandering film that sort of hammers some like yes this is is awful isn't it yeah yeah meandering is a word because because it does feel like a, a novel definitely it's very episodic and it, it feels, feels like, like it probably end- would have worked pa- better as a tv series possibly like a kind of band of brothers type limited series don't know then you would have got a bit more characterization they could have like, stretched out the episodes a bit more well you're saying like that. that it was you saying this feels like a novel and then saying it feels like an overlong meandering novel makes me think that it sounds specifically like a stephen king novel so yeah, it's what I'll what I'll stay away from. No, when, they're not they're not fighting on a Micmac burial ground, unfortunately. So <laughs> I don't know what that means. I <laughs> every Stephen King novel, there's got to be an Indian Mary around. Oh really? Oh yeah. And it's also got Jimmy Smith in it at some point. Even if in the book it it references like the actor who could possibly play that character. It's like, oh, you know. Uh, the sheriff turned around. It looked a bit like Jimmy. It looked, Smith. A, bit, it looked a bit like Jimmy Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'd be quite funny to write a book if you've clearly got like a a movie a movie in mind for it to be sort of uh, ultimately sort of um, pick, like picked up an option from. So you're like, oh, he turned around. He he looked a bit like George Clooney actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the, the teacher. Yeah. He swept his hand through his silky hair. Silky hair, not unlike Jimmy Smith's in the Tommy Nuffin. <laughs> He came out. He came out. Of the referencing movie. one of your own adaptations as well. <laughs> he came out. He came out. He was toweling us. He came out. He looked a bit like Michael Brooker in the Dark Half. Now that I think of it, <laughs> talking about a change, <laughs> changing the test tense as well. Um, look, let's stop messing around and talk about Golden Winter or Santa's Little Yelpers that I watched. Um, I say watched. I sat through. I went through a phase of thinking, oh. 
Look, um, my son's been ill, uh, so he's fine now. But he'd been he was ill for like a week, and I just wanted to put on like nice films, basically. So you know, I didn't didn't watch Deathstalker with him. Let me tell you about that. But I thought let's just put on like f- Christmas films. So it's like Christmassy, and there'll be like nice music and stuff. Of course, I put on. I made the mistake of getting putting a film on putting the controller out of my reach and then getting really comfortable with him on my lap. So I was like, right, I'm completely sat here for the next two hours. And then it came up with golden winter and asylum movie. And I thought, Oh no, 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 no. But I couldn't move because he was really comfortable. So I had to sit through this like 90 minute asylum film. And it is effectively, it's about two people who can't, they can't afford the payments on the house. So they just bugger off and just leave this like litter of like, golden retrievers there with the mother and but they're voiced like in look who's talking so but what they've clearly done mm-hmm. is just film the dogs and then put like an animated mouth on like looped footage so it, it's just them saying oh no where are they going well we haven't gotten food and then the mother gets separated from the dogs and then a group of youths break in realize these are pedigree dogs and they can sell them so the the fracturous gang of teenage boys, you know, are sort of arguing over who gets to look after these dogs and how they're going to make money from them. And then oh, they get saved at the end. It's just a really cheesy, awful Christmas film. And for the first 15 minutes when it's just the dogs running around playing and like having silly voiceovers done, I thought, oh, actually, this might be OK. Because as as, Axel was like laughing in it. And I thought, I'm, I'm happy to sit through this if, if that's what it is. But of course... After about 20 minutes, that just stops, and it's just children bickering in this gang. And, I mean, it's so cheap that you've got people, like the kids are like, like trying not to laugh and looking at the camera and stuff. Like, really, really basic things. Obviously, Shannon Elizabeth from American Pie is in it. She looks like she's aged about two weeks in the last quarter of a century. Uh, so she looks fantastic. Um, I thought, no, she looks a lot like Shannon Elizabeth. And then, no, it is. It is her. Unbelievable. And she looks, she looks really good, so that's good. She's obviously uh, looked after herself. But, yeah, it's just this really awful, just typical asylum nonsense where it's just a rip-off of another film and there's no money in it. And I just had to sit through it. A dreadful, dreadful, dreadful film. Santa's Little Yelpers or Golden Winter, and that, of course, is on Amazon Prime. Is that two titles? Are they? Is it colon? Um, no, it's well. It's the original title. I think the American title is Golden Winter, but then the the, the UK title is Santa's Little Yelpers. I... Okay. Um, the, the, the start of this film as well, when that like the the husband and wife who were, like leaving the dogs go, the you see them like the footage from inside the house, like and the dogs are like we're we're, we're mum and dad going sort of thing, and the woman says to the husband, oh. What about the dogs? Is there any room for them? And he says, no. And she says, oh. And I thought you would have thought about that beforehand. If you've got seven dogs and you were going to like pack up and just leave your house because you can't afford the payments on it, you would think, I'm going to have to leave enough room in my Ford KA for seven dogs. And it's clearly just packed to the rafters. And he says, I would just have to leave them. And she's like, like, it's a surprise. Like, they haven't said oh, we're going to have to just do a runner because we can't afford the bills. And the next question would be, what about the dogs? It's a discussion <laughs> you would have had before you're running in the car to leave. So, yeah, um, and that pretty much sets the tone for the whole films. Correct. Right. Uh, I have one more to speak of. And okay. I'm excited about this one because 
uh, is Terrifier 2. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, which I've watched since last time around. Uh, I, did you finish watching this? I can't remember whether you... Cause you no, started. what... So, yeah, my, my, my thing, I watched Terrifier, and then the very next day, because we were so keen, we watched Terrifier 2. Uh, it's about two hours long, isn't it? We got about an hour in. Yeah. And said, "Oh, we'll finish watching it." And because we'd rented it for like one ninety nine, that ran out. I fully intend to watch it, but I do not mind if you want to spoil or whatever, because um, I feel like we got we got about an hour and fifteen in. I would say. Um, I, yeah, I was looking at where this is available actually, because I've obviously got it on Blu-ray naturally because I got the 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 box set of the two. Um, although from Germany, you, many chance you can. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a UK-based place, but you can uh, you can rent it on the usual places. Rakuten, the worst streaming <laughs> service, you can buy it for four pounds. So, oh, nice. Just saying. Um, Always just saying, don't do them. that and buy the Blu-ray instead. Um, <laughs> so, this is a sequel, obviously, to Terrifier. Uh, the Miles County Clown strikes again. Um, this time. He's terrifying Sienna, a young woman who's just crafted a kick-ass Avenging Angel costume for Halloween. Um, before the inevitable showdown, of course, uh, Art the Clown will slaughter his way through her family and friends, killing with some <laughs> mighty strong savagery and creativity, I would say. Uh, we find out a little bit more about Art the Clown, but not much. Thankfully, um, mm. it's Damien Leone. Again, he writes, he directs, he even does the makeup. In fact, it is truly Fair a play. labor of love. Uh, so, uh, I mean, let's just get some things out of the way. It is 30 minutes too long. Uh, I think it means you get more character depth and more relational depth, but possibly at the expense of pacing and efficiency as you'd imagine there is i think what's something which is slightly lacking that the first film had it lacks i don't know how else to put it like narrative deviancy like it like what i I remember mentioning in my review of the first film is that you have these unexpected turns or shifts in focus that made it really compelling the first film it doesn't have as much of that or i didn't feel like it had as much of that uh, obviously, this film has spends a lot of time on unbelievable gore, like which is fine. Uh, I think a little more. I, I think this time around, perhaps slightly less care is taken over the anticipation of gore. Perhaps it could have done with a bit more tension, especially given the running time. And I would say that the final sequence goes on a little bit, but then the whole film goes on a bit. Like, and and part of the problem is is that we've seen Art the Clown literally come back to life for this movie which kind Mm. of mutes the kind of whole inevitable revenge part of it um because you know uh, i mean it's not really a spoiler i mean she's built an avenging angel costume like you know she's going to get into that costume at some point so anyway uh but it is still extremely well made like beautifully shot beautifully lit uh, nicely edited it does more with like 250 grand than most filmmakers could do with 10 times that uh art the clown is still a horrifying creation yeah uh, 
well played possibly slightly less funny in this one don't know the main girl played by lauren lavira is brilliant uh and i like there's the introduction of a second antagonist in this as well uh, another clown creepy girl clown and i really like the dream sequence involving the kids tv show that was a bit of a master yeah. stroke really enjoyed that uh it's still a very competent update of 80 slashes except except what is kind of exciting now i mean i still think it's not it doesn't quite have the impact of the first film but it's still really well made and i really enjoyed it and i i want to watch it again and i could happily watch it again uh i suppose what's most exciting though is that we have this because there is a terrifier 3 being made oh. it's it's a very competent update of like 80 slashes what really is going to set it apart is the fact we now have a promise of like a a consistent like slasher world if you like built by a single author and i remain intrigued because of that because i can't think of i mean obviously a lot of slasher franchises really they're all over the shop weren't they like in terms of their <laughs> that is putting it mildly Rufus. like even Say, think of something, saying something... That children of the corn is a bit all over the shop is quite an understatement but even stuff like halloween where it just completely just dropped the ball in the second one by making him her brother and stuff you know that sort of crap didn't need to happen you know um i'd say that I, and but there are other examples of where there's been a guiding hand um i can't remember his name but uh the guy's name but the guy who basically was involved in all of the chucky films up until the reboot oh but yes i remember yeah name? i was I quite surpri- i was surprised at that because um yeah. i remember you saying it, i just assumed it would just be like passed from one under the other um but what was what was really cool about that is that don mancini yeah so what was really cool about that is that he kind of guided that franchise for want of a better word through so many different iterations and so many different kind of reimaginings and yet it kept because it was authored by this kind of like one dude basically it it kept the kind of um the soul of what it was um all the way through regardless of whether it went from whether it was like a complete ridiculously schlocky 80s slasher or whether it was like a kind of self-referential horror 90s horror or more recently kind of much more psychological twisted horror and i i kind of hope with terrifier i mean i don't know whether i don't know what damien he's got up his sleeve i mean this is this is too long but i mean it's interesting to see him like like work on character moments if you see what i mean and he can do that really well so there is some good character depth here it'd be interesting to see where he goes from here whether he does go through similar kind of reiterations of this thing or not uh or whether he just keeps going down this line i know he's already said he doesn't want to make a film as long as this so that's a good sign because it is over two hours which is a bit silly for you know where this is going to go over you thick so you've got the first one right and then you've got the second which expands on the first one it's the third in the horror franchise so it'll be terrifier into hood the fourth one will go oh into God, space yes. and then after they've been into space in the fourth one they'll they'll um go into the future and after they've been in the future the sixth one will be him having a, a, a child 
And then yeah. the seventh one will be him going through like a really messy divorce. The eighth one is where he can't make his alimony payments and stuff. And, it, you know, it, it just it, the same thing as uh, Freddy Krueger. It's all the same. Brilliant. How many times has Freddy Krueger been in the hood and in space? Like Leprechaun. Come on. Exactly. Lost count. Uh, Did you, yeah. are, you, are you with me with the the scene on this that made me adjust my spectacles on my nose with the, the woman in the bedroom? Uh, she has what it's an old Persian saying, yeah. rough time. That was I well, actually started mm. I started laughing at that because I thought, how can so many horrible things happen to one woman in such a short space of time? There is a scene later on which is uh, what like just one of the most violent things I think I've ever seen. But I think what keeps it on track is that. And maybe this is something that would be lost if it was someone else directing or I don't know, but that it doesn't see somehow, despite the horrendous violence, it doesn't seem mean spirited. It doesn't seem like torture porn because there's too much like arch humor going on in it, I would say. And he retains that humor from the first one. So that's that's good. But it's a really delicate tonal balance. It is, and it's really well done because I mean, like that dream sequence where the like the clown is handing out gifts, and it's all kind of done in like an almost a slow motion sort of style, isn't it? Like that sort of dream logic. And I was just literally rubbing my temples thin off. For fuck's sake, don't open those presents, don't open those boxes. And again, it's not like a, oh my god, what's going to happen next? I feel sick. It's just a, it's almost like you're kind of laughing with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. obviously, it's not going to end well. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, oh, God. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's a very it's a, it's a balance. And I didn't think even existed, if that makes sense, before watching this yeah. film. I didn't think I could be watching something so depraved and foul and like almost like laughing with it because it's almost it's almost saying like this because of his facial expressions and because there's like an, always an injection of subtle humor and things you're not yeah. you don't just and i because i actively dislike torture porn films like i just think i find them like a, a despicable genre so but yeah this is uh it's a really bizarre line that it and i'm just wondering how, for how many films can it walk that line mm, that's the question isn't it i think uh, there's but there's real potential there for some really weird some really weird stuff involving Art the Clown because it's almost it's not it's not fourth wall breaking, but it's especially in the second one there's enough surreal stuff uh, because you know like I, I you would have seen the moment when he meets the young girl clown yeah yeah and how the ambiguity there with regard to what she actually represents and stuff whether she's even really there etc and so i think there's real potential for some surreal uh, uh, like a descent into proper surrealism which should be fine i'll be fine with mm. i yeah I'm not sure whether another straightforward slasher is gonna be enough but maybe may maybe just round it off with a slasher boom move on to something else yeah, well, I guess it would be uh, next year, 2023, that the third one will be out because it's not like this, this is like an avatar thing where it's going to no, take 25 so. years. So, you know, it would be good for this to come out around next Halloween and um, and get hips deep into it. It's just yeah, the sequence in that where um, he's in the he meets the girl in the in the laundrette 
and there's a bloke mm-hmm. asleep in the laundry and he, and he wakes up and sort of looks over and he's frowning at him interacting with this little girl and you yeah. know that, that bloke is thinking fuck it out someone we all like a drink i know but the, the, it's but the brilliant that's where that's what we're talking about when it comes to like the humor of it because that guy wakes up and you know he's in trouble anyway just by being in there but that guy wakes up and, and like catches Art the Clown's eye and it doesn't show Art the Clown like murdering him but of course as he walks out the guy's just I, I can't remember he's got like a broom through his skull or something like that because yeah. of course yeah. of course he's dead of course he's gonna die he <laughs> looked at him and that's all he... <laughs> yeah, that's all it takes it's just the way he's like dancing with this possibly imaginary girl and the guy is like, like looks at him and frowns and then like looks at him with that wild look in his eye and then that's it that's all and you think yeah he's dead that man is dead <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but again yeah there's that's the humor in it isn't it it's um maybe it's a film you can only really truly appreciate when you've watched as much watched a lot of bad horror and, and yeah it is so much it's almost like damien leone is like you, you there's so many there's so many ways that this could be mishandled and yet you know that like even the edits and the cutaways are filled with their own kind of black humor uh, yeah i do like it a lot yeah no that's i think you're right that because i mentioned that you know he obviously writes directs does makeup etc so it is it's a labor of love but the labor, I suppose, really is in his, what I assume is encyclopedic knowledge of uh, schlock horror, really. Because I think, like you say, like me being an aficionado of schlock horror, especially from the 80s, then it, I don't know, it feels like these films feel like the promise of what 80s slashers could have been it could have been yeah but never quite were if you see what i mean and i i i don't know whether that's a guiding principle for him but it seems to be working pretty well and certainly uh you know if he keeps going like this then he could you know he could be a new kind of john carpenter maybe i hope he's got other ideas and he does something with them yeah, I, I feel like I'm in the same spot as I am with Nicolas Cage with The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which I think I talked about a couple of weeks ago, that um, it's the same sort of thing where I, I that film is kind of, I'm, I'm on board with Nicolas Cage and his career and how he views himself, and I'm, I'm the perfect fodder to watch his films because of the amount of them I've sat through, and I feel like the same sort of thing in terms of slashes with them. With Damien Lonely's Terrifier, it's just the same, the same vibe. Obviously, a different genre, but I feel like I'm in the perfect spot to appreciate them at their maximum potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to change. That's your last film, isn't it? I've only got it three is. left, and it's not going to be. Are you okay to track on for a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm going to bring things back to a more Christmassy thing. I watched Duck the Halls, a Mickey Mouse Christmas special, which is 20 minutes long and on Disney+. Plus. I was really going through the Christmas specials. And um, this is, it's a really bizarre and it's oddly dark because the whole premise, right? Bring in this is 20 minute Mickey Mouse Christmas special short. Um, it's him and Donald and Goofy and Daisy and everyone in like in Mickey's house. And Daisy's like, they're all like laughing. And Daisy says, well, come on, we've got to go down south with ducks. We've got to go to Florida for the winter to see Scrooge McDuck and the, and the you know, the Huey Dewey and Louie. And Donald's like, well, do you know what? I've never celebrated Christmas. We always just go on holiday somewhere hot. So I want to, I want to stay. And she says, 
well, you can't because you're a duck. We have to go south. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to stay. And she's like, okay, well, suit yourself sort of thing. And slams the door and buggers off. And it's like this, it's this sort of spiral of his health failing because uh, it's too cold for him to survive and he's just refusing to admit it. And it's instant. It's like they're trying to do things like, oh, let's go and build a snowman. And he's like, yeah. And then they go outside and he's like, and his eyes are like f- literally filling up with blood and his and his feathers are falling out and he's like shivering and he's like, <coughs> and then they're like, oh, what's wrong, Donald? And he's like, oh, nothing. And he's like at the peak of death. It's really funny how close he becomes and how sickly he looks. And then Goofy and him are like, are you sure you're okay? And he's like, yeah, let's just celebrate Christmas and wrap some parcels. And he is just on death's door. And it's really oddly funny and dark. And then it just becomes this road movie for like 10 minutes of them realizing that he's dying and just like rushing to get him like down to Florida so he can survive. Um, and yeah, I didn't expect it to be honest, Rupert, from a 20 minute Mickey Mouse Christmas special. But um, wow, it's on Disney Plus and it's really funny. It's a really funny and like oddly full on uh, Christmas special. Um, that he is not looking well at some points in this. Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely worth a goosey for 20 minutes of your time. Uh, I've got two more left. One of them is uh, oh my god, I just looked at the actual DVD cover of this film for the first time. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> 2017 Santa stole our dog, a merry dog on Christmas. Bloody um, Nora. I know this is, I think honestly, if you put your hand in your pocket, you've got more in there now than the budget for this film. It's one of those films where everything is like a, everything is CG and it, everything's filmed really close up. So you can't see any of the sets or anything. So it's an European uh, film. <laughs> it's, I, I would say it's better than nemesis for death angel. I would say that. Um, it's Ed Asner, who is a very old man by this yes. point. He's like 88, 89. Um, he got the old man voice to the point, and obviously he's dressed up in a full Santa suit. That he, I don't know what it is about old men. They just sound thirsty. I think when I hit 80, I'm just going to drink more water so people can understand what I'm saying. Um, but in this, he's just got this really dry voice, and it's like really sort of thick with age. Um, so the story is that this family, this splintered family, uh, someone who looks a bit like Mario Van Peebles and his two kids, one, his son who doesn't believe in Santa is like a teenager and the daughter who's younger and does, and they get a dog and uh, it goes into Santa's sack when he's delivering presents and he accidentally steals their dog and they try to track Santa down to get the dog back. Mm. It's extremely cheap, but it is the, the funniest part of the film is Ed Asner when this it's like on national news saying oh santa stole a family's dog just just assuming it's real and like and he, and they're like why would santa do this and and he's like I, and he's just talking to the tv saying like why would i steal their dog well, i'm santa claus why would i what would i benefit from it and he's like talking to his wife mrs claus and she's like yeah i don't know why they think you would do that and he's like i just don't know where the dogs come from i just need to take it back and that's quite funny Eric Roberts turns up in this film, Robert. <laughs> he turns up as like an evil toy manufacturer. Um, but this film is cap, right? And it's filled. It's filled with just filler, effectively. There's a bit Stocking about this, There's a bit in this film that ties into one. There's a bit where he goes on. A, they go on a, on a journey, like a road trip, and he shows people at like um, passport stops. His, his and his family passports three times. And it adds nothing to the narrative. It's just there to fill up space. Um, right. There's 
scenes where they go back and forth between places and they're just wearing different clothes and you can tell it was just filmed with a costume change on the same day uh same people in the same positions and stuff but there's a bit in this film that i actually paused to do the math on and it is when the dog goes missing and the kids are really upset he says to his estranged wife and this is friday he says i'm gonna cheer the kids up i'm gonna take them visit my mum." And his wife says, she lives in Canada. And he says, yes. And this film is set in California. Mm. And she says, the kids need to be back Sunday. And he says, yeah, don't worry, I'll be quick. And she says, but your mother lives in Canada. <laughs> and I I went online because I thought, she, she's really making up to you that you're not going to get those kids back. And and he drives to Canada. Drives, okay. And back and, and and this is Friday, and he does it by Sunday. I went online, and to get to Canada from LA is a sixty-plus hour trip. <laughs> so they are definitely in LA. Do we do we know where in Canada? Because a lot of that is well, empty space. They they stop in Alaska. They, it shows him in Alaska. So Alaska, oh, right. fifty-eight hours. So even if they're like at the absolute like pin of the south it's still 60 hours um yeah and i thought you're not gonna do it mate you're not gonna do it um yeah and it's just a terrible cheap film the only highlight in it and the only sort of moment of any quality apart from just ed asner being quite amiable and having that funny scene where he's like why would why would i steal someone's dog (laughs) what would i possibly benefit from that is um there's a dolly parton song called somebody's missing you and i was Mm. i didn't know this i was watching the film and then halfway through um of course, through this just awful presentation, awful audio, awful visuals, awful acting. Oh, yeah. This this song came in, and I thought, oh, that's a, actually a really nice song. It just sang really well, and it's just like a spark of quality. And it's quite a cheesy kind of country song, a Christmas song, but it's almost like they shouldn't have had that in there because it shows what actual good quality, something of quality actually sounds like. Um, so that's not very good. Santa stole a dog of Merry God on Christmas. What... Um, streaming service would you assume that was on it's prime it's prime (laughs) (laughs) it's on prime Um, and my my final film you remember a few years ago we maybe I set off on a lone voyage to try and find out for humanity if there is indeed such a thing as a half decent Don the Dragon Wilson film yes you know, I thought it was a, a hopeless quest, but hopefully... Well, I found one that is most palatable. I don't. I wouldn't say oh. it's good. It's uh, it's Don the Dragon Wilson in Red Sun Rising, 1994, uh, where he plays a tough Japanese detective that seeks vengeance after his partner is killed by a deadly Yakuza ninja. Um, his partner, by the way, who he portrays throughout the film and speaks of as if he's like this, like a real hero, just impatient and not very professional. Because at the start, they're hanging around outside this this um, yakuza, um, the head of the yakuza's house, and they just rush in, and this bloke drinks some, literally drinks a magic potion that turns his eyes blue, and then electricity comes out of his fingers, actual hundred percent Paul Daniels magic, and he can kill people by touching them. So he, he kills he kills the partner. And and then he attacks John the Dragon Wilson who barely survives. And then this Yakuza uh, 
the head of the Yakuza goes to America and gets arrested over there. And Don the Dragon Wilson goes over to kind of bring him back. And then he ends up escaping and they chase him down. The American detective in charge of this is Terry Farrell, who I don't know if you ever watched Frasier. She was Reggie, mm. the, the cafe owner. She's she's pretty mm. woman. Yes. But in this film, she's just like a really she's a really staunch racist. Um, <clears throat> like at the start, they walk in. He's walking. They're walking around with this Yakuza boss. And Don the Dragon Wilson walks up to her and says, oh, I'm, I'm the attache from Japan. I've come to kind of uh, take him back and make sure a crime, you know, he, he gets sort of uh, gets charged in Japan for his crimes. And she says, oh, I see you speak English. And I thought, he, no, he's an American actor. He delivered that in perfect English, actually. And um, and it's just constant, like, ribs at him for, for being, not even for, like, for being half Japanese. Um, wow. And it's and it's almost I couldn't put my finger in it, but I actually said to Faye, "What is wrong with his face?" And it's she said they've they've kind of put makeup, they've plucked his eyebrows and put makeup on his kind of eye on his eyelids, as if they're trying to make him look more Japanese. But he he is half Japanese, and in the film he's half Japanese, so they they didn't need to. It just looks like he's like oddly metrosexual. Um, so yeah, this so this goes on. Of course, of course they fall in love over this. Because she says to him, oh, basically, the reason I'm such a foul racist is because I come from Detroit and where they build American cars. And then all the cheap Japanese imports made them close down the plant my father used to work at. And he doesn't respond with, and that is enough to make you hate an entire race of people. <laughs> he, uh, he just sort of says, oh, OK. And um and he just hates American stuff as well. And they're right. bickering the whole film. But of course, there's a scene in this, right? Where they're on like, they're supposed to be on a stakeout, but they're basically on like a lover's leap kind of thing where they're parked up in like an open top sports car overlooking LA or whatever. And it's all nighttime. And they start bonding. And they start bonding kind of over opening up and, and maybe not being as racist to each other. So it's not believable anyway. It's just like... <laughs> They just sort of say, oh, maybe we shouldn't be pricks effectively and actually work together. So as they lean in for a kiss, they literally lean in for a kiss and the music goes all like, and the jazz saxophone comes out wow. as they start kissing and the camera pans up. Um, <laughs> camera pans up to like the city and like the lights and the cars driving and stuff. And I thought, right, that's a cheesy 80s, you know, cheesy 90s scene there. And then... Terry Farrell's voice, obviously dubbed in afterwards, comes in and she says, (laughs) Wow, you've got a nice big cock. That kind of ruined the mood a bit, didn't it? You know, it was going to be this kind of, yeah, soft, slow, slow, smooth jazz, like sort of seductive kissy scene where it's like the bed sheet sort of being wrapped up. And then, no, you've got a nice big cock. Um, so I thought, oh, fair enough, then that's where we're going. Uh, and, and then, of course, to <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone, by the way. Uh, and then to um, 
and everyone's character is really ill-defined like there's a bit where he says to it well we need more advice we need to know more about this this death touch that this guy is doing when he's drinking his bloody honeyed mead and then his eyes go blue and he can kill people by touching them and he says right we're gonna meet this bloke and he's gonna he used to be my sort of sensei and he's gonna tell us more about it and they meet him and, he, and he's kind of changed and he's, he loves his booze and he's got women around now and then uh, Don the Dragon Wilson almost gets killed in another sort of fight with this bloke with blue eyes, the death touch. And he goes back and his old sensei says, right, stay with me. I'm going to train you and I'm going to teach you like how to beat him. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, what a lot of bollocks. And I thought, why are you suddenly, why are you suddenly really dismissive of this man that you like seeked out who has been really helpful? And it's almost just to like add drama in. He suddenly acts like he's a 17 year old, like sort of, like um yeah american teenager doesn't want to be like almost oh, all this old bollocks about now um and yeah it just goes on and then at the end he obviously defeats the guy and gets the girl and it's it's not it's not awful it's probably the best on the dragon wilson film i've seen okay so yeah. not awful all right <laughs> You still haven't found a good Don the Dragon. No, no but I, right? this is probably the best one. But yeah, I will continue. I mean, hopefully just for more lines like that. But okay. Yeah, not very good. What's it called again? Red Sun Rising, 1994. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Excellent. Um, so, Arkenstar then for next time. Oh, okay. Have you got any ideas? I've been thinking. I'm thinking Stephen Lang nice. to Sean Harris. Okay. I think that's going to trip a few people up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. Hmm. I just need I'm to watch of, Possum because that's such, so rich with like. Well, exactly. Massive ensemble. It's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty much Avengers, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. If um, film could be any more distant from the Avengers, it's probably possible. What, a, a man carrying a bag over the Yorkshire Moors and weeping? What's wrong with you? That's pretty much what happens in um, Age of Ultron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, possible what a movie. Uh, I need to watch that again. I need to watch yeah. that with my son. Um, so, so what? Um, that's probably one of the best ones I've ever seen. I, I don't think I've felt emotions like I have when I watched that film. I was, la- I was laughing out of just discomfort at like what was happening and like the just the, the overwhelming misery in that film. The, it, yeah, the level, the depth of darkness in that film is quite astonishing because it's not just like atmosphere; it's like psychological, just abyssal darkness. Um, yeah. So happy <laughs> okay. Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, so what are, what's your film of the week? Well, 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 well. I've had some disappointments this week, I've got to say. Um, but I, I think Terrified too. I, I'm just nice. so glad it keeps keeps the dream alive. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, disappointments really on the, for most of the rest of them. Uh, oh, f- I mean, Avatar was all right, but it's just not as good as the first one. This uh, is the I, thing, isn't it? A film of that magnitude, it, sh- it shouldn't be all right. It's no, not. It's it not acceptable be. for it to be all right. No, no, you're right. Um, How about you? I think. I think for me, it's qu- quite cleanly. Werewolf by Night. I know it's technically a TV special and not a film, but I, I, it's been 
a long time since I watched the film and thought, oh, Christ, I wish I was 10 years late to the party. And there's like another two or three of these with the same characters <laughs> in and the same approach. Um, yeah. It, watching this and then like reading about the characters and like reading the comics of Man Thing and stuff, I was a proper <laughs> little fanboy with it. So I hope that they just make one fully fledged, self contained film with them in. And then I'll really enjoy that. Um, so. Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, Stephen Lang to Sean Harris as the new Arkansas. Um, yeah, that's it. So uh, yeah, have a Merry Christmas, everyone. And I guess the next show, which we'll do in the week, will be the um, the end of your state of play. Talk about some video games. <coughs> and then um, back to movies. Speaking of movies, have you got any that you are lining up? Any themes, or are you just going to see what see what the good Lord brings you? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple. Um... Well, yeah, I've got a couple that are on the uh, that I've actually watched, but haven't quite computed in my brain yet. But um, yeah, well, one of them's from 1982, so don't worry, I'll get back to the when real <laughs> films are being made, <laughs> proper films. Yeah, yeah, and uh, if I can just leave you with like a, a, just one bit of advice, don't watch Deathstalker two, Rupert. Okay, thank you so much. Or one, or three, or four. <laughs> just yeah. don't watch them. Okay, excellent. Thank you. I love you. Wisdom. Love you. Bye.